Thank you for being with us today, which is Pentecost Sunday. We had great Easter services and um, we obviously have um, great Christmas services, etc. But we now come to the day of Pentecost. Um, we are uh, an Elam Pentecostal church. Uh, Kensington Temple is our name and we have a, a network, obviously, of churches in London. But we're part of that Elam Pentecostal church. And I'm glad that in our official title, the word Pentecostal is there, Elam Pentecostal churches. And uh, of course, that's from the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came upon the waiting disciples. So this morning, very appropriately, we're going to look at that portion of Scripture and encourage ourselves from it. So if you have your Bible, I'm sure you have. We're in Acts chapter 2, please. Acts chapter 2. And let me read to you. When the day of Pentecost came, they were to, all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, the crowd came together in bewilderment because each one of them heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Pergia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, uh, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonderful wonders of God in our own tongue. Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? i like to pray, please. Father, we acknowledge freely without any duress that this is your word. Whatever I may be saying, this is your word. I just pray that my preparation will be in line with what you want to share with the folk today. We thank you for the day of Pentecost that reminds us that the church has a future. If ever there is a day that is going to be important for us coming out of a pandemic, it's the day of Pentecost because God's Holy Spirit is still shed abroad in the world. And he is there to fill us and enable us and to equip us to fulfill the Great Commission. So bless us, Lord, now as we look to your word. Amen. Amen. For so many of you, this is a very well-known portion of Scripture. And I would like to just very gently walk through it with you and just see if there's some points there that will encourage us and help us, not only understanding of Scripture, but maybe some application to our own lives. There were three great festivals that the Jewish people had. There was the Passover, there was the day of Pentecost, and then of course there was the Feast of Tabernacles. And um, the disciples would come and there was a Old Testament regulation, Exodus 34, that every male Jew had to attend these festivals. That's why there were such great crowds. We find that in Exodus 34, 23. And so we find here when we got a list of the people, the nations represented, it says Jews and uh, a proselytes, that's people who had joined the Jewish faith because it was part of their religious observance to attend these festivals. So it's an exciting day, a very powerful day. The city is absolutely crammed full of people. Now, when we say cities today, we talk about cities in millions of people. Of course, a city 
Today, I suppose a, a city would have been a town, a town would have been a village in our regulations today. But for all that, the city was heaving with people. And uh, Luke, who is the author of this, reminds us that when the day of Pentecost came, now the day of Pentecost, as I say, was one of these major festivals. I think there's helpful to understand a little about what that was. It was 50 days after the Passover. That's where the word Pente, five, comes from. 50 days after the Passover. Exodus 23, it's called the Festival Feast of Harvests. Exodus 34, two, it's the Feast of Weeks. Numbers 28, 26, the Feast of the First Fruits. And so it has very much a harvest theme to it. And when you know what happens at the end of the chapter, when thousands come to Christ, you can see the harvest theme being translated from the field to the human population. So the day of Pentecost. So folk would have come, they would have come with thanksgiving, they would have brought their offerings to the Lord. But it also had a historical context. Uh, it, it's a reference to the, the giving of the law. The law was given 50 days after the Exodus. So we see that theme running through of the law. Again, a vital day in the history of Israel when God gave the laws to Moses. But we find also, not only did it have a historical context, but it was a festival of thanksgiving and first fruits of the harvest. In fact, they were required not only to attend the festival, but they were required to bring an offering to the Lord. It was two loaves of unleavened bread, three uh, parts of meal, just for those who are chefs here, um, and also a domestic animal would have been brought for sacrifice. We go, those things are in Leviticus 23 and Deuteronomy 16. So we see at the beginning, we have this important festival. The city's full of people. Um, there is that, conor, that, that truth, it's 50 days when the law was given, not on this particular date, may I say, on another date, but it was 50 days. Um, it was a time of thanksgiving. People brought their harvest. So we have the law, we have the harvest, and of course, we have the sacrifices in it. And God chose this day. And I was just sharing at the first service that sometimes I think to myself, wasn't God clever, and please, I speak with respect, wasn't God clever to pick this day to send the Holy Spirit, a day of harvest thanksgiving? Well, of course, God knew the beginning from the end, and I believe that he gave them the Feast of um, Pentecost because he knew what he was going to do in Acts 2. It wasn't that he thought, right, I'm going to do this in Acts 2 because I did it in Leviticus or in Exodus. No, no. Those things in the Old Testament were put there and in, in, in anticipation of when Christ would come because the whole of the Old Testament has one great purpose so that we can identify who Jesus Christ is and understand what he came in this world to do. So it wasn't a matter of, oh, the day of Pentecost. Oh, yeah, that's an idea. I could link that with that. No, no. God in his planning, I believe everything in the Old Testament was planned for the sole purpose. It had other uh, implications, of course, but the overriding theme was that we would understand that Jesus Christ was going to come and we would be part of a great harvest in that way. Well, let's have a look at the text. So when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Now, this place where they met um, was possibly the same room where they met in Acts 1, where they were in prayer. And um, Josephus uh, intimates that 
there were, next to the temple, was a building that had 30 rooms. Now, Josephus was a historian, and a lot of commentators believe that the disciples were using one of these rooms. So on my right hand, yes, right hand, um, we had the temple there, and then we have this building, and in this building adjacent to it, you could rent rooms out because of the festivals, etc. And it was in one of those rooms. And that, that's important, I think, to something I, I'd like to share with you later for your consideration. So they're in Acts 1. They've been told to wait there. Now, there is some preparation for the coming of the Holy Spirit. You know, sometimes as Pentecostals, we think, well, God just sends his Holy Spirit. There's nothing I can do. He's sovereign. Oh, please, there is a lot we can do to prepare ourselves and also to enable the Holy Spirit to come and flow. The first thing is this, the disciples here, they were obedient. They were told in Acts 1-4, do not leave Jerusalem. So the day was fixed, Pentecost. Now the location was fixed. Do not leave Jerusalem. God had decided that he wanted them in one place, he wanted them in Jerusalem. And the reason he wanted them in Jerusalem was not that God could not have poured out his Spirit in Galilee or Capernaum, But the point of harvest was he wanted them there because they were going to preach and many thousands come to Christ. And so they were in one place. So they had obedience. Now, please, Jerusalem is a very dangerous place to be, a very dangerous place to be. Um, Jesus, as you know, had been crucified and had risen from the dead. um, But there was a persecution against those who um, followed Jesus. But that was part of their response. That was part of their devotion, that they were to be obedient. Do not leave Jerusalem. You know, I'm sure for every one of us who's a Christian, we we would want a fresh infilling of God's Holy Spirit. I don't think I need to twist anybody's arm to say you'd be saying, yeah, Gordon, of course, I really do. This pandemic has hit me spiritually in so many ways. I've missed the fellowship. I've missed so many things. But, you know, there are certain things that will inhibit God's moving. And it's a mismatter of obedience. They were told to stay in Jerusalem. What would have happened if they hadn't stayed in Jerusalem? Would the Holy Spirit have come? Or would that act of disobedience put them outside of the purposes of God? Well, we don't need to go into the sovereignty of God and God knowing. But you know, sometimes the only thing that's stopping you and me from having a fresh encounter with God is that there is an act of obedience that we have to fulfill. For them, it was stay in Jerusalem and you will receive. Maybe there's something that God has told you to do that you're not doing and you need to do it. That's all that's stopping you. You say, well, if God wanted to do it, he'd do it. No, no, hang on a minute. If God's told you to forgive people and you have an unforgiving heart, I think you might find that might have some influence on your ability to receive a fresh infilling from God. If you're deliberately walking outside of what Scripture teaches, if you're deliberately doing things that you know are not pleasing to God, years ago we'd say that God wants to fill clean vessels. Well, you don't have to be perfect to be filled or else I certainly wouldn't have been filled with the Spirit. But certainly there has to be a desire to serve God. And so before we go into anything else that happens, these, this group were obedient. They were also patient It says, but to wait for God's gift that the Father has promised. So they had to obey by staying in Jerusalem and they had to be patient. They had to wait. I think the authorized version, and it says they tarry in Jerusalem. 
Years ago, we would have had tarrying meetings. Well, we've changed them now. We have receiving meetings because we all want to get home. So the sooner you get filled, the sooner we can go home. You know, we're not tarrying. We don't have to tarry for the Spirit to come. The Holy Spirit is here. What we're waiting for is you and I to open up and to open ourselves up to God and be filled in a fresh way. So patience is there. I'm sure there were some in the upper room who thought to themselves, you know, we could be doing something else. There are other things that we could be doing than just sitting around here. Well, part of that was their waiting on God and they had to show patience. Now, I'm not a patient person. I I readily acknowledge that. Um, But, you know, when it comes to the things of God, you will not rule him. He will rule you. He will decide. Um, We have to open up. We have to be prepared. And he's more willing to give than we are receiving. So I don't think it's God's time we fulfill the Holy Spirit. When I hear people say that, I hear these words, it's not my time. I believe it's always God's time for us to receive a fresh infilling of his Holy Spirit in that way. So first of all, they were obedient and they were patient, but there was also this important aspect of unity. Now we're coming back in together now as a church and numbers are increasing and the rest of it. But we face challenges of unity. Sitting in the same building together is very easy. Living with people, that can be a challenge in that way. But it says there, they were all together. Geographically, they were all together in this room, but together in our hearts. And I hope as you come back to the fellowship and as you share with us, and of course, those who are at home, you're as equally as important and valuable to us as those who are here. But as the church, if I can say, gets back to a a more recognised routine of services and ministry, let me assure you we need to keep our unity. We need to be united. Whatever God has for us, he wants us to be together in it. Does that mean that uniformity, do we always have to agree on everything? Of course, we don't always have to agree. We don't always agree. As I mentioned in the first service, most of you here, if not all of you, support the wrong football team. So we're not united. I mean, I can help you later and give you a suggestion of a team or two. Um, But let me just say that we're a very strong team. We've been holding the rest of them up. Um, But, you know, we're not going to agree on football. We're not going to agree on which restaurant we might go and eat. We're not going to agree on where we're going to go on holiday. We're not going to agree on music or or TV programme. No, no, we don't need to agree on that. What we need to agree on, that Jesus Christ is Lord and that we're his children and we have a mission from God to go into the harvest. And those are the things that unite us. This idea that we all have to agree about everything together, I don't know where that comes from. You say, well, in church, you know, you, you can't. Listen, friends, we are united in our purposes and our goals and what we want to achieve. Now, you may have other ideas on how we can achieve them, but we hopefully will listen. But at the end of the day, leadership has that responsibility. So they were together in one place, obedience, patience, and they had unity. And then it happened All the obedience, all the unity was going to bear fruit. It says in verse two, suddenly, suddenly. Do you know, don't ever lose that idea that God can work suddenly. Some of you have been praying for, some of you have been praying for years for something to happen. Well, the disciples weren't in this upper room um, for years, but they had to wait. And I would encourage you not to give up, please. 
God can suddenly move. Things can suddenly change. Things that you thought could not happen, could happen. Speaking to someone recently, they were, they, they, they were sharing with me, they can't remember the last time God answered a prayer for them. Well, I'm not going to make comment about that, certainly not from a platform in that way. But friends, you may have been praying, then suddenly, that member of your family who you've been praying for might suddenly say, I'll come to church with you, tell me a little bit more. Don't ever lose that we have the God of the suddenly in it. Now, I'm one of routine. I'm very much one of order, as you can tell. It's part to do with my age and my upbringing. You know, I'm not a guy that there's a lot of surprises about me. But I hope I will never forget that suddenly you can be praying about a situation and suddenly God moves. And we must keep our faith in him that he's prepared to do it. The disciples were obedient and they stayed. And then it tells us very simply, suddenly a sound of a blowing violent wind came from heaven. Now it wasn't a natural wind. It wasn't a tornado. It wasn't a tornado. It was a supernatural um, phenomena, if I can use that word, it's probably not the right word, forgive me, it was the Holy Spirit who had come. And he had come amongst them. And the only way that they could describe what was happening, it was a violent wind blowing from heaven. Now please, most of the storms we have are, I would call, horizontal storms. You know, we've got a north wind blowing, a west wind, a south wind, a east wind. I think I've got the whole, you know, we talk, we talk in those terms. But this didn't come from the left or the right or the front or the back. This Holy Spirit, the, the Holy Spirit, pardon me, came from above. It came from heaven, from the very throne room of God, the promise of my Father. Where else could it come from when Jesus said, I will send you another comforter. I will send you someone else who will come alongside you. The promise of my Father. Where was the Father in heaven? Where else could the Holy Spirit come from? He couldn't come from the left or the right. It would only come from above. And as we seek God and we seek to know his freshness in us, and we hear of new moves of God and God is doing this and God's doing the other, may we all only embrace that which comes from heaven. Now that's easy for a preacher to say. Often they come with challenges. And I'd rather be open than a closed book on these things. But it was very simple. Suddenly, and it was like a wind because it wasn't wind because it was the Holy Spirit. And it came from and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They were just sitting down. Maybe they were relaxing. Don't know. I, I don't, they didn't have Sky Sports then, so they weren't watching the football, that's for sure. You know? But that's a little advert there. I hope I might get a free month and I don't have the football. It's a joke. joke. But um, in that way, and sitting and suddenly the Holy Spirit came from above. What I'm looking for, I'm not looking for anything, and I, I don't want this to sound controversial. Um, I'm not, I don't want to travel to receive a fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit. And maybe I have travelled. I'm not going to say where I've gone or what I've done. I'd like something from a heaven above. And I know that the leadership of this church are praying that there will be something that will come from heaven and affect us and make us even more effective. The trouble is when you speak about the future, I wouldn't want anybody to think we're talking about criticising the past, far from it. But there's a fresh infilling that this day of Pentecost, with the lockdown easing, it's just an opportunity to seek God in a fresh way. Um, they were meeting there. It's almost like on Acts 4.31. 
It says the place where they were meeting was shaken and um, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. So the coming of the Spirit can affect in so many different ways. Not horizontal. It did not come through the room, but vertically because it came from heaven. Came from heaven. As I said, the promise of the Father, Luke 24, 49. Now, there are certain things that the Holy Spirit will always do. I remember um, the first Bible study I ever gave, as far as I can remember, and I can remember where I gave it. I was a Bible college student and I was asked to speak at a midweek meeting. And I decided to speak on the personality of the Holy Spirit. So I spent about 20, well, I wouldn't have preached as long as I do now. You should have known me then. (laughs) Um, It wasn't probably a long Bible study. And uh, my my good friend Lionel Curry, I think, was with me. And um, he, he, poor man, had to sit and listen to me. And I um, spoke about um, the, the, the Holy Spirit is a person. He's not an it. He's not a feeling. He's not an experience. He's a person. And um, that was the whole theme of it. And I said to Lionel afterwards, I hope I'm getting it right, said to Lionel, he said, uh, how did I get on? Because I'd never done. He said it was very good, he said, but you called the Holy Spirit it all the way through the sermon. I was so programmed to it. Listen, the Holy Spirit's not an it. He's not a denomination. He's the third person of the Godhead. He's as much God as Jesus. He's as much God as the Father. And we have to treat him with the respect and the, the, and the worship that we would give to the Father and to the Son. His task is to glorify Christ. And so if you want a fresh feeling of the Holy Spirit, start glorifying Jesus and see how quickly the Holy Spirit comes close to bless. We have different occasions in the, the Scriptures where the Holy Spirit was working. Of course, we go back to Genesis in chapter 2. It says, Adam, God breathed into Adam and he became a living soul. Having made him from the dust of the earth, it said God breathed into him. Wherever you see the Holy Spirit coming, he's bringing life. Now, he will bring conviction, but conviction can lead to regeneration. And that's important. But there we have it. Adam, God breathed into him, he became a living soul. Beautiful verse from Job, Job 33, 4. The breath of the Almighty gave me life. Uh, we go to that great picture in Ezekiel 37 about the valley of dry bones. And Ezekiel had to prophesy to them. And it said, the wind came upon them. The breath of God came and they stood like a mighty army. John 20, 22. And with that, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. And of course, I believe that was their conversion. Uh, you may not, but I believe that was when they got saved. They got baptised with the Spirit in Acts 2. They got saved in John 20 in that way. But again, you must have your own thoughts and study on that. Then, of course, we cannot think about the Holy Spirit's work without going to Nicodemus in John 3, 5. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he's born of water, which I take to be natural childbirth, not water baptism, natural childbirth and the Spirit. So when we become Christians, we're born again of the Spirit of God. Then we get baptised in the Holy Spirit and the ministry of the Holy Spirit continues. He brings life and health. This idea that the Holy Spirit just arrived in Acts 2 is misguided. The Holy Spirit has been ministering throughout the Scriptures. And uh, Pastor Colin mentioned about him brooding over the, in the creation 
think is a, that's the picture of a hen, I think, sitting on the eggs. Holy Spirit brooding, bringing things to life. And so here we have this group of people. They've been obedient. They've been patient. The Holy Spirit has come and he's filled the room where they're sitting. And we see tongues of fire that separated and rested on each of them. So we have two symbols of the Spirit. We have the symbol of the wind and we have the symbol of fire. Now, it was not wind and it was not fire. Now, please, you can laugh at this if you want. Their heads did not, their hair didn't catch fire. So it wasn't natural flames. We know that. It seemed like the easiest way to convey what was happening was to describe it in that way. And I love that little picture there where it says there, on each, they're all filled with the whole Spirit, to speak as the Spirit gave them utterance. Pardon me. Um, it says, there seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. So the Spirit's arrival came in one, one portion, may I say, and then it separated and rested on each of them. Again, in this room there is one Holy Spirit, but we can all be filled with the Holy Spirit if you're a Christian believer. Um, I remember in Bible college we were praying with a young lady from, uh, I think she was from a different country, and we were praying for her to be filled with the Spirit and the, there seemed to be no, no response at all. And um, I just asked her, I said, are you a Christian? And she said, no. She was at our Bible college from another country, but she wasn't a Christian. We led her to the Lord or someone led her to the Lord and we prayed with her and she began to speak in other tongues. And all that was stopping was she hadn't come to faith. So it's faith in Christ first, baptism in the Spirit. Scripture tells us, have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? So we believe that there is another event that can take place subsequent to our conversion. So this day affected the disciples. First of all, it affected their ears. They could hear the sound and it affected their eyes. They could see what seemed to be tongues of fire. I mentioned again earlier, I remember a preacher saying that the, you could see tongues of fire on other people's heads, but not your own. So the Holy Spirit came, tongues of fire. I said, oh, look, Peter's got some. Oh, oh, look, you know, and go around the room looking at the disciples. You know, but you couldn't see it on your own head. You had to look in a mirror to see. And I'm not even sure how many mirrors were around in that room, you know. And that's the great thing about being Christians. We, can, we want to recognise what God's doing in other people. So, well, look what I'm doing. I don't know what you're doing, you know, what, I'm not bothered. But, oh, to look at it. Oh, to pray that other people, you can pray for other people to be, have a real new, fresh and filling of God and suddenly you discover God gives you the same. You look in the mirror, what you prayed for them, God has done for you. It's separated and rested on each of them. That's not been repeated as far as I'm aware. Now, someone's going to tell me that somewhere it did happen, but there are certain aspects of the day of Pentecost that do not happen again. We don't have the, the rushing mighty wind, although the house was shaken again later on, but we don't have the tongues of fire again. I think that's God's way of saying, this is New Guinea, this is the arrival, this is the fulfilment of prophecy, and we now work out from that, knowing that God gives us gift of tongues and the gift of the Holy Spirit, another study for someone much more gifted than I am to look down that way. Well, the effect of this was very simple. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. If we have a prayer for this church for the future, we have many different prayers for you. One is that we will all be filled with the Holy Spirit. 
He said, well, don't you want us all to prosper? Uh, yes. Don't you want us all to have health? Yes. Do you not want us all to be in employment? Yes. But we want you to be filled with the Holy Spirit as well. And that's maybe more important because to get filled with the Holy Spirit will give us a faith and the ability to understand Scripture better and to walk more meaningfully with our God. So the Holy Spirit became resident within them as they began to speak in other tongues. Now, I mentioned earlier, excuse me if I just have a drink. I mentioned earlier that this was the upper room and believe this was a room adjacent to the temple. And even in this event, we see a breaking, God breaking out. Well, in the past, God's Holy Spirit would come upon the temple. We think of Solomon's temple particularly. What a day that was when the Holy Spirit came. It's called the Shekinah glory of God. Tremendous reading. If you want to read something, look that up. Solomon and the dedication of the temple. Amazing. We think of the tabernacle in the Old Testament where there was a pillar of fire at night and a pillar of cloud during the day. God's presence, absolutely outstanding. But something happened differently. Here we have the temple made with stone on my right hand and we have the disciples here on my left hand. Now, tradition says, oh, God really should have sent his Holy Spirit into the temple. Because, well, God's temple, you know, and the tabernacle, is, these are godly things. These are things God has. And they certainly were. I think the great thing that had changed is this, that the veil of the temple had been torn from top to bottom. God's saying, look, I'm no longer in there. You can take away that curtain now. I don't need to be protected. I don't need to be in a holy place because really I've left. And when he left is something maybe for debate but he had left. So next to this group of people was a magnificent building that had been dedicated to the worship of God, where thousands of animals would have been sacrificed, where different prayers and offerings had been given. But the Holy Spirit came to 120 people in a room. The change that took place, the whole philosophy of ministry had changed. One minute there, in a temple, the next minute, they are the temple. And scripture teaches it very clearly about this. It says in 1 Corinthians 3, 16, you yourselves are God's temple. So oh, I, I can't, God can't fill me. Not only will he, he wants to. Because as far as God's concerned, you are a temple. 1 Corinthians 6, 19, that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, our conduct should be... Uh, Following on that, 2 Corinthians 6.16, we are the temple of the living God. Acts 17.32, the Lord from heaven and earth does not live in temples built with hands. So where's the Holy Spirit going to go? Again, that's only very irreverent. Where's the Holy Spirit going to go if there's no longer a stone temple? Well, he doesn't need a stone temple. Now, some of you will have certain views about the temple and Will it be rebuilt in the prophetic sense? And of course, you know, that, that's, that's, your, you can, that's your understanding. That's fine. I won't share at the moment what mine is, but that, that's fine in the prophetic. But let me tell you now, you are God's temple. 
God isn't thinking, oh dear, I'd like to pour out my spirit. Let's get all of the people at Kensington Temple. If I could only get them to Jerusalem in one go, that would be a nice trip for someone, taking you all to Israel for the day. And let's get you all in the upper room. And then we know, oh, please, we're not a pilgrim. We might be, we're not a pilgrim people in the sense. We're not going anywhere. We're not sending for anyone. And we're not going anywhere because we believe God will meet us where we are. Now, at that point, you need to say a little louder, amen. amen. Or else I'll start from the beginning again. <laughs> and you'll miss your Chinese or whatever you're having for lunch. Friends, we don't need to. You are the temples of the Holy Spirit. I am the temple of the Holy Spirit. That brings privilege. I can be filled with the Spirit. As much as Solomon's temple was filled with God's glory, so my life can be filled. In fact, not so much better. Because that temple was destroyed. And this temple will not be destroyed. One day I'll be dead and the rest of it, but you know, there's a resurrection coming for me. I just hope when I'm resurrected, I'll be thinner. <laughs> you know, I'd, I'd like to help God there. I really do. And uh, if my wife's listening, you do not want to know what she's saying now. She's not in that way. Okay, so the room next to the temple was the place where God came. You see, God does not live now in buildings made with stone, but a living temple. Almost finished. Oh, you've listened ever so well. We come back to the matter of harvest. We've sorted out the temple, that we are the temples. We come back to the matter of harvest. The Jewish people turned up to thank God for the harvest and to thank him for his goodness. And it tells us there in verse, pardon me, in verse 14, Peter stood up with the 11. That's it. It's starting. Do you know, I am going to get that DVD out when I get to heaven. I am, or watch it on Catch Up or whatever is the modern way. I want to see Peter standing up with the 11. I want to see him opening his Bible. He didn't have a Bible. I'd like to see his notes. I don't think he had any notes. Now, please, I'm not one of these preachers that believes that, you know, you don't have to prepare or study or go, dear me, it's bad enough when I do prepare. Imagine what it would be like if I didn't, you know? But he stood up. And with that, opened a door. Prayer meeting last Wednesday, mission harvest. You'll know it's often a backdrop here, London and the world. That's what it is. We have no choice on this. We can't, we're not going to take a vote whether we want to be a harvest church. We're not going to take a vote whether you agree we should preach the gospel or should we should reach the nations. We're not, we, I can't take a vote on it because God's already voted. We have to be missional. And Peter stood up with the other. I like the fact that he stood I'm, You know, please, I'm standing up speaking now. What a privilege. Thank you. But to make, make it possible for me to stand here, more than 11 people have been busy. We have had our musicians, we have our technical team, we have our ushers, we have a whole army of people. Um, I arrive at this building at probably about 8.30, the place is open, the place is warm. Is it warm in here? Oh, maybe I'm ill. Anyway, um, you know, it's a vast army. I don't stand up alone. I don't say, here am I. Let me tell you now, if it wasn't for dozens and dozens of people, somebody set the chairs out for us. Someone... You know what I'm saying. He stood up with the 11. And if we're going to fulfill all that God has for us, we're going to have to do it together. Now, I might be the preacher this morning, but if we run out of ushers, I don't mind going on the door. 
don't mind going on the door. You know, because that's what church is about. If we, you know, in fact, we probably have, we're never, we're never going to run out of preachers in this church. We got, we've got, God has blessed us with so many preachers. It's amazing. But there's something maybe you can do in that way. Okay, I've said finally, and I don't think I meant it. Okay, moving on. Peter stood up with the 11. And what was the result, first of all? Um, it says in verse 36, he ends his sermon this way. This Jesus, whom you crucified, is both Lord and Christ. Now, that was true, but a lot of those people were pilgrims. And unless they'd stayed 50 days, they probably may not have been in Jerusalem. Some used to stay over for 50 days. They'd travel the Passover, stay over for Pentecost. But that, that would only have been the wealthy. But he declares, when he says this, that this same Jesus whom you crucified, I think he's talking about us. He's even been prophetic in that. This same Jesus whose sins he took upon him on the cross, God has made him both Lord and God. And I look back to Calvary and I see my sins there. I look into my heart and they've gone. Where have my sins gone? Do you mean I don't sin? Of course I sin. But where is that sin principle? It's nailed to his cross for each one of us. It tells us that those who accepted the message were baptised. About 3,000 were added to their number that day. 3,000 from different nations. You heard the list of nations. I hope I pronounced them all right. A whole group, almost what we would call the known world at that time had representatives there, Jews and proselytes. A proselyte was a Gentile who had become a Jew. Now, you had to be born a Jew, as you know, but there was in the, in the, in the commonwealth of God, it was possible for Gentiles to become a part of the Jewish nation called the proselytes. And these were the first people Peter preached to. That's why he could baptise them straight away. No baptismal class, because they knew what it was about. We have a baptismal class, because people that are coming to faith today have no idea about baptism. The Jews knew all about ritual washings. It was part of their thing. There was no need to educate them. In fact, the proselytes probably had to get baptised to become a proselyte. Now we were going to baptise them because they become Christians. May I say that was the right way round? And he comes to them and 3,000 were added. Now, the harvest aspect of this was that the Feast of Pentecost was the first fruits. These were the first, these 3,000 were the first fruits. And they were added where? To the church. Oh, can you, you know, how often have I heard this? Can you, will you still go to heaven if you don't go to church? Yes, you will, but you're not going to get told off when you get there. Because God wants us in church. Now, I'd love to think it was this is the church. Those online, if you're looking for a church, we welcome you. We'll have room for you. We'll make room for you. We'll give you the best welcome we can if this is where you feel God wants you to be. But these were the first fruits. We get to the revelation. It tells us there that there were people out of every kindred, tongue and nation. There's no mention of China here. But there's Christians in China. There's no mention of um, Derby, where I live. But there are Christians in Derby. Because this is the harvest. These were just the first fruits. 3,000 people came to faith to let us know there was a big crowd following on and to cheer you up 
You and I are part of that big crowd. We're part of that big crowd. In fact, Peter alludes to it in his message. He says this, this is the promise for you, your children, right? And for those who are afar off, that's us. We're the afar off people, okay? For all whom the Lord our God will call. So the first fruits were Acts 2. That was the first harvest. The first fruit said, there's a bigger harvest on the way. Now we are part of that harvest. So we're grateful to God that we are part of those who are afar off who would come to faith. But that not only brings with it a, a, a privilege of knowing Christ and serving Him, being part of the church and having involvement and worshipping Him, it also means that we move from being part of the harvest to being workers in the harvest. The scripture says the hard-working far farmer deserves the first of the crops. And so one moment I'm part of the harvest, the next moment I'm in the harvest field as a worker. And whether it's in foreign mission, whether it's in local mission, whether it's in your family or in your office or your school or your college, it doesn't matter. There's a harvest. Remember, for those who are afar off whom the Lord our God will call, it could well be that this very week you will lead one of those to faith whom the Lord our God will call. What an exciting time.